You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. We're in Genesis chapter 1, so if you want to uh, turn there, that'd be awesome. It's an easy book to find. Amen? It's the first book of the Bible, so... Uh, Pretty simple for us to find that one. Uh, Something we always remind ourselves when we gather together each week is just um, the gracious and kindness and generosity of God. He's just been very, very generous to us. And so, um, and like I say every week, we don't don't try to pay him back in any stretch of the imagination, but our reminding of that every week is also to shape and form us to be a very open-handed people, very generous people. Um, and that includes generosity with what uh, we've been given, our money. And so uh, if you came ready to give today, maybe with a check or cash, you can drop it off in the wooden boxes there in the back as you leave. Uh, or there's several ways that you can give online. And we do ask, man, that if you're a member or regular attender, that you would continue to give and give generously. If it's your first time or you're a guest with us, uh, please hear us. We don't have any expectations for you to give. We do pray that this service is real blessing and give to you. Uh, so one thing to highlight before we kind of dive in this morning, we just um, began our men and women's Bible studies this past Monday. Uh, so we're uh, really excited about it. We've got a little picture. We had well over 150 people here in our auditorium. Uh, our men and women were gathered together for kind of the intro and the first part of First Peter. Uh, this coming Monday, we'll separate, um, even though God says what God brought together never separate. But we're going <laughs> to... Thanks for a little bit of laughter there. Uh, ladies will stay uh, here in our auditorium and the guys will go in the connect room. And yeah, you can still join us. Uh, if you weren't able to make it this past Monday, man, we'd love to have you. Just show up. We start at 630. We try to start right on time. I know it gets a little challenging for those that are coming in from downtown area to get to uh, here by 630. But just for the sake of child care and getting through our content, we really try to start right at 630. All right. So yeah, we, we started a, a new series last week and we've entitled this series Sacred. And we're gonna spend uh, uh, several weeks here, about 11 Sundays where we're, uh, we're just gonna camp out in Genesis one and two. We'll spend one week in Genesis three uh, and that's on purpose. We, uh, we, wanna, we wanna kind of uh, use language here of leaning in uh, to all that is good that God has created. Uh, if you're anything like, like me, sometimes you have a tendency to start off with Genesis three which uh, talks about the the fall of humanity and the brokenness of this world and why this world is such a a crazy mess that we're we're broken individuals and this world is a broken place. And sometimes by starting in Genesis 3, we can actually miss the goodness of God that is right in front of us. And so I love how Hannah Anderson talks about this in her book, All That Is Good. Like we need to train our senses, discernment, it's not just trying to figure out what is the evil and avoid it, which is sometimes what our bent is, but actually what discernment is, is to be able to see the good that's right in front of you and enjoy that as a means by which we can worship and enjoy God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we just want to um, spend a few weeks um, and train our senses to see all that is good that God has created in his creation. Last week, we, we kind of talked about the God who existed uh, in all of eternity, even before verse one and chapter one, God existed as a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's really important for us to know that because it's out of that posture, that's out of that motive in which God creates. It isn't created out of, out of some lack in him or some need that he needs us to fill. No, it's out of the overflow of the joy and the generosity and the goodness and the, and the beauty that he's experiencing and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that he wants us to get in on it, right? It's out of that overflow uh, that he creates. Uh, I think we ended last week on this quote, and I do think it's a, a, a good kind of summation of what I was trying to get across last week when we opened this series up. It says this, this God simply will not fit into the mold of any other For the Trinity is not some inessential add-on to God or some optional software that can be plugged into him. At bottom, this God is different. For at bottom, he is not first creator, ruler, even God in some abstract sense. 
He is the father, loving and giving life to his son in the fellowship of the spirit. A God who is in himself love, who before all things could never be anything but love. Having such a God happily changes everything. So that's what we were trying to get after and unpack it that last week. And today we get to see the, the, the kind of the beauty of his creation that he speaks into existence through uh, chapter one. So if you're able, I'm gonna encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. I went back and forth on this all throughout the week. I am gonna read quite a bit here. So I'm gonna read verses one, verse three, starting in chapter one, all the way to chapter two, verse one. So we are kind of reading a large section here. And, and obviously I just felt like it's good for us to hear the, the full seven days here of creation as a body. And, and I don't want anybody to pass out, don't want anybody to faint on me. So if you get a little tired or whatever, just sit down. There's no shame in that at all. So uh, God is still speaking to you, even when you're sitting down, amen? Uh, so let's start here. In verse three, then God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was an evening and there was a morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and tree, fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth to rule the day and the night, to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and everything, every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening came and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God, he created them male and female. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I, I've given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, every tree whose fruit contains seed, this will be food for you. 
For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he, what, all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. Father, I just ask that you would just um, humble us this morning, God, as we think about the, the power that is behind your words to create all um, that we see in this world, in this universe, God. And then at the same time, Lord, may it not only humble us, but draw us to you. Help us see the goodness of a Father who creates this beautiful place in part for our enjoyment. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I shared this at the beginning of the nine. I don't know if this is helpful for you guys at the 11, but I'm just going to kind of go for it. Some of it's just for my own uh, conscience sake. And if we weren't in the days that we are today, I probably wouldn't even say anything about that. So you can tell that I am pretty stuffy. And so it's not anywhere at all on my chest. Um, I am vaccinated, um, but I did get up this morning and it was a little more stuffy than uh, it was yesterday. So I do have seasonal allergies. It's pretty bad during this time, usually like February, March, it wears me out. And usually September, October, it wears me out. So um, yeah, um, I just didn't feel like it would serve Zach for me to call him at five o'clock in the morning and go, good luck, all right? So here we are. And that's one of the reasons why I'm wearing a mask and one of the reasons why I will probably stay away from you. Usually I try to mingle and be around you guys and talk to you. So hopefully you can give me some grace this Sunday. And if that's kind of weirded you out, I'm not trying to be irresponsible in any stretch of the imagination or think that I'm not taking this seriously. It's just one of those things where this role is hard to kind of like push eject, you know, on a Sunday morning. So, um, so I'm trying to do my due diligence and take this seriously and protect you guys also. So um, hopefully that's helpful. I don't know. Um, so here we go. We're going to jump in. Uh, chapter one is a, of Genesis here is a, is a much debated chapter in all of the Bible. I mean, there's other chapters that are pretty debated too, but you know, just look at any commentary or multiple ones and man, you can see how there's all kinds of debates about chapter one and what's saying, what's not saying, are the six days, seven days, literal days, or not literal days, on and on it goes. And here's uh, the thing I want you to hear this morning. I, I'm not unpacking any of those debates. Well, some of you may be really disappointed uh, that I'm not scratching an itch that you have. Uh, if, you, if you need that, I, you know, I can kind of point you in some direction of what you can read, uh, but uh, that's just not what I'm focusing on uh, this morning. And so, Sorry if, you, if you're disappointed. And at the same time, eh, so be it. All right. Uh, but here's, here's the one thing or a few things that, that most scholars will agree on and ones that we obviously would read and agree with. And, and this is where we are as a church. And I just want to make the obvious statement that we do believe God created everything, everything. This isn't some kind of massive cosmic accident. This isn't something that happened millions of years ago. No, God who existed as, as a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created everything that we see and everything we can't see, right? There are, we believe in spiritual beings that our physical eyes cannot see, and we believe God is the one who created those spiritual beings also. There's gonna come a day when we'll be able to see them, but right now, we cannot. And I get it, some of you may not land there, and I'm not trying to say you don't have a place here because I would say you do. Like we don't have any expectation upon you to believe everything in the Bible for you to find a place here and, and come and be a part of our church. But I'm just trying to help you understand that this is where we come from. 
This is where we are. This is what we convictionally believe. This would be one of those closed-fisted items. And I would also say this, just like it is for us, for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, we believe, as the writer of Hebrews says, by faith that everything came into existence through the very word of God, as we saw here in Genesis chapter one. And I would put before you, no matter what theory you believe, you still have to believe it by faith. So that's one truth that we can all kind of unite around. Most scholars lean into this, that we would read that, yes, everything was created by God. A second thing that we've got to also understand is that the first chapter of the Bible is really important for the whole story of the Bible. So if you take away the first chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, you're losing the story because the story ends with us back in a garden. The new heavens and the new earth. Now this garden that we read about in Revelation, you see a lot of similarities in Genesis chapter one, but it feels like it's on steroids. It's like, oh my, this is like a massive upgrade, right? But that's where we're headed. That's the arc of the story of the Bible. So if you take out Genesis 1, you're taking out the story. We're all headed to a place where we are in this brand new garden, this beautiful place that God has created for us to be with him and live with him, walk with him as we see him walking with Adam and Eve. And thirdly here, this is another kind of observation that sometimes we overlook, and that is this, is that Within chapter one, this chapter is carefully put together. Uh, there's, a, there's a craftsmanship, so to speak, of how Moses chose to put this first chapter together, this story of creation. I love how Eugene Peterson says this, and I'm a huge fan of him. He says this, the number of days, one through seven, provide a rhythmic, ordered structure, everything, in order, nothing haphazard, nothing unintentional. So in chapter one, we have 10 divine commands and eight acts of creation that are spread out over six days. And so that there's kind of like this correspondence between days one through three and days four to six. And so this is a little chart to kind of help you get your mind around kind of the six days of creation. So day one kind of corresponds with day four. Day one, we have light and darkness uh, is separated. And then day four, you have the sun, the moon, the stars, this, the kind of lights are separated in the heavens. And day two corresponds with day five. Day two, you have the, the sky and the sea, the waters separating. And day five, you have the dwellers of the sky, the birds and all the winged creatures and the, and the sea, the fish, all these Massive, beautiful creatures that live in the, in the sea. And day three kind of corresponds with day six. And day three, he created the land and vegetation. It kind of separated from plants and trees. And then in day six, you have these dwellers in the land. This, you know, you got animals and specifically mankind here. And then day seven, as we saw, uh, he rested. So if you, if you kind of follow this, you would see that it seems to me, the way I can understand, that day six is kind of the climax of creation here. Everything's kind of leading its way to day six. And one of the reasons why I say that is because there's a, there's a longer comment about that day than there is in days one through five. And you see that in verses 26 through 29. He gives lengthier comments about the, the creation of man and woman and their responsibilities in the world. It's kind of role that they have on earth. And it's also at this place, and if you'll notice, there's kind of like a, a skip in the pattern. So you keep hearing this, and it was good, day one, and it was good, day two, and it was good, day three, and it was good, day four, it was good, day five, and then day six, it's almost like hypothetically and figurative, God steps back and he says what? It's very good. So there was something about the creation of humanity the where he's able to step back and look at all that was created and say it was very good. So unlike other creation accounts in this time, when Moses wrote this, God who creates the world sets men and women within it as a crowning touch on what he has brought into being. As one writer says, and if you're looking for a good book that kind of like helps you see the overall story of the Bible, the drama of scripture, 
is a really good read. It's kind of thick a little bit, so ah, persevere, but it is a good read uh, to help you. But he says this in that book, the creation itself is described as a marvelous home prepared for humankind, a place in which they may live and thrive and enjoy the intimate presence and companionship of the creator himself. And so what I wanna do, I mean, uh, just kind of like, I wanna come back to this whole emphasis on kind of the, uh, the creation sort of climax of man and woman being created. We're gonna spend a couple weeks in that next Sunday. So just talking about the image of God being in us and our role in creation and this whole idea of what is a, the creation mandate that's on men and women. But what I want to do uh, this morning, I've kind of given you an overview of, of chapter one, so to speak. I just want to dive in and, and, and highlight three truths that I think we see in Genesis 1. And, and what I'm also doing is I'm also leaning into the Psalms specifically David, as he meditates and considers creation, as he looks at the creation story, there are some, some pieces that he highlights. There's some truths that he brings out. And I want to kind of land on these three this morning and I pray that um, they would have an impact in all of us as we leave this morning. The first one is this, and maybe this is really obvious, but I I just want to state the obvious here. I don't want to just assume that we all saw this, but I think it's important for us to hear this. And that is this, that God's word is powerful. God's word, and, it, and it's interesting, I, I don't even think the words that I'm using are doing it justice, but I'm trying my best and I feel my inadequacy to be able to communicate this. But God's word is powerful. I mean, over and over, you see this refrain. Verse three, then God said. Verse six, then God said. Verse nine, then God said. Verse 11, then God said. 10 times in chapter one, it says, God said, God said, God said. And I don't know if you picked it up also, and it says this, and it was so, basically, kind of like, and it happened, right? So God created everything by his very word. And we learned last week that the very word of God, as said in John chapter one, took on flesh. And it's the, the second person of the Trinity, God, the son, Jesus. So then God's word is not only true. And we said that. I read chapter one. And what did I say? This is Absolutely, not just a little bit, not just half. I said it's absolutely true. So not only is God's word absolutely true, it is also powerful. And not just powerful, but effectual. When God speaks, things happen. When I speak, sometimes things happen, right? Sometimes my kids listen to me. 50%, maybe, I don't know. But when God speaks, things happen. Listen to what David does here in Psalm 29. Just listen to him as he kind of meditates on the very power and the voice of God, the voice of the Lord and power, the voice of the Lord and splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. Man, I'm not a, a tree expert. I was trying to remember the, I know it starts with an A. I couldn't remember the name of that tree expert, something R, R something. But like, all right, thank you. Like four people laughed at me. All right. Uh, but cedars are pretty, pretty dense trees. Amen. Can I get an amen for that? I don't know if you've ever tried at least cut a limb down. Like, I'm just trying to cut a limb down for crying out loud. I'm not trying to cut the tree down. I'm just trying to cut a limb down. And like I damaged my little cutters, those little thingamajiggies, whatever you call them. I don't have a chainsaw. I need to get a chainsaw. But even with a chainsaw, it's crazy how dense they are. But the voice, the voice of the Lord breaks them and shatters them. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God commanded Ezekiel the prophet to go to this valley, and this valley was full of dry bones, these skeletons, 
And he told him to speak the very voice of God. And when he spoke the very voice of God, these dry bones came to be human beings. They took on flesh. How did that happen? Not because of Ezekiel's power, but because he spoke the very words of God. The word of God is very powerful. Go to John chapter 11 and just meditate on uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. He goes to the tomb. To this, to this, this tomb where, where, where Lazarus is, is laying, and, and, and what does Jesus do? He doesn't like, I don't know. I mean, I guess he could have done this. He didn't throw any rocks in there. He didn't like pick up some dust and throw it up in the air. I mean, he just said, Lazarus, come out. And the only thing that Lazarus could do was come out. Because the the very word of Jesus, right? Because he is God in the flesh, speaks and things happen. A dead person comes to life. That's why Isaiah 55 verse 11, that's why this prophet can say with confidence that the, God's word, when it goes out, it will not return to me void. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish all that it's supposed to accomplish. Why? Why is that? Well, because God's word has power. It's effectual. It, when God speaks, he it does something with us. And I don't know if this is helpful for you, but it is helpful for me. And I'm praying that all of us would hear this over and over. Let us not underestimate how much the power of God can do in your life through the very word of God called the Bible. If you're anything like me, sometimes I have a tendency to doubt that reality. That's why, I mean, I say this often, guys. That's why the, the, the whole of this gathering is, is what's woven throughout it is the very words of God. We're singing the word of God. That's what we're doing. And yeah, we're, we're, we're singing songs that are taking truth from the words of God and putting it into some language so that we can sing it. But, but look, our worship set, and this is kind of what I grew up with. I don't know what you guys grew up with, but what I grew up with was the, the worship song, was worship thing was just kind of a setup for this time. Like, this is what is really important when whoever it is, me or some other person, came up here and they preached the Word of God. I'm not denying the importance of preaching the Word of God. I'm just putting before you that the whole of the service is enormous value because all throughout the service, from the call to worship to the benediction, the Word of God is being spoken out. So it's not just this time. So Tony and them are not just teeing me up, right? That's just craziness, Amen. I'm just fitting in a part of what God started doing when Zach got up here and did a call to worship. I want us to be a church that is not designed to amuse the dying, but aimed at raising the dead. And the only way that happens is through the very voice of God that is given to us in a written form called the Bible. So if the voice of God can break down cedars, <laughs> then it can break down even our strongest defenses. If the voice of the Lord shatters cedars, <laughs> then it can diffuse our despair. If the voice of the Lord can shake the wilderness, then it can free us from guilt and shame and lead us to him. The word of God is powerful. Now, please hear me, guys. If you've been with me long enough, you would know this. I'm not, I'm not trying to... Um, minimize your difficulty or struggle that you may be going through by um, tritely using the word of God as like, if you get this verse in you, then you'll stop struggling with pornography. You know, if you get this verse in you, then you'll stop being depressed. If you start praying this verse, then you'll stop being anxious. I'm not, I'm not trying to use the word of God like that in any such way. In fact, I, I don't know how helpful that is. And for some of you, it's actually been used as a weapon 
and it can be sort of wounding to even when you try to read the word of God, it, it brings up a lot of those wounds. That's why a good friend of mine in a season of life and me actually told me not to read the Bible. Like, well, you just need to stop for a little bit and stop reading the Bible and go outside and take a walk. Because all, all you're doing is you're, the, the word of God is becoming something that's beating you up and beating you up and beating you up because of not something wrong with the word of God, but part of my story. So please hear me. I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize pain, but say, hey, you just got this verse in you. And at the same time, I'm trying to say this. It is what the Holy Spirit uses in your life to bring about the healing that you need. So, so, the, so the end goal wasn't to keep me away from the word of God for a season. The end goal of keeping me away from the word of God, maybe just for a season, was to get me back in the word of God so I can read it and hear it in a way that God the Father wants me to hear it and read it. So yes, yes, maybe your approach to the Bible changes in seasons, right? Some of you are in a season where you just need to learn your Bible. That's not bad. You really do. You need to know where the book of Job is, and it's not called Job, right? You know, you need to know where some of the minor prophets are, like Malachi and Habakkuk. And, you know, there's a, there's a season for you to learn your Bibles. And if that's you, then go at it, man. Read your Bible. Man, get in the yearly plan and read. If you've never read through your Bible as a Christian, well, I, I would encourage you to do that. That would be a good thing. It's not legalism, right? It's not. It's craziness. We think, no. Read your Bible. Some of you need to learn your Bibles. But some of us are in a season of life where that's not the goal anymore. The goal for you is maybe just to sit, be still, read a shorter passage, take like Psalm 29 and spend a week with it. And let it get in you. But the word of God even though our approach may change, it never replaces it, right? Its place is always centered in our own life. We don't remove it out of the way. It's always central. Why, Lyle? Because the word of God is powerful. God speaks and things happen. Second. In light of this, that God creates through his word, showing us that everything that exists is a result of his word. And also what we see too is that creation is speaking. I know it sounds kind of crazy, right? But it is. So not only is the word of God powerful and everything that, that God created, created through his word, the very creation that he created through his word is actually communicating to us. It is speaking. Psalm 19, David says this, the heavens declare, that's, that's voice, declare the glory, the beauty, the weight, the, the, the wonder of God and the expanse. Look what it does. It, it, what? it proclaims the work of his hands day after day. It pours out speech night after night. They communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. David is saying to us, just as an old hymn says, God speaks to us everywhere, everywhere. C.S. Lewis says it like this, we may ignore, right? We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. That's why Romans 1, and Paul says this, look, none of us are without excuse. Nobody gets a pass. Say, I didn't know. I didn't know you existed. Paul's making an argument out of Psalm 19, basically, that when you, you have no excuse. If you just you look up, you see that there's someone that spoke this into existence, the, the beauty of it, the intricacies of even how an eyeball functions shows you that there is a designer, a creator, an artist to this. And so something else is going on within humanity that wants to suppress that reality. And what's going on in humanity, as we know from Genesis chapter three, is this wonderful word called sin, right? But 
C.S. Lewis is right. There's nowhere that we can evade the presence of God. This world is crowded with him. So in essence, a sunrise is not just a sunrise or a sunset, just a sunset. And I don't know about you guys, if you've been out any at all, the sunsets these last few days have been phenomenal, right? They have been absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. So much so, there's a few times when I've Ran off the road, but hopefully the Lord's taking care of me because I'm trying to look at your sunset, right? Because a sunset's not just a sunset, it's a word. It has meaning, it has intent, it has a communicative content. Creation bears a message. As Joe Rigney says in his book, The Things of the Earth, creation doesn't just contain a message. In fact, it is a message. So if the heavens declare the glory of God, if divine glory is in creation for us to hear, to listen, then we ought, then we need to linger, slow down, pay attention to all that's around us. Because as C.S. Lewis said, the world is crowded with the presence of God. He goes on and says this, instead of Blowing through earthly pleasures at 90 miles per hour, shouldn't we slow to a stroll and take in as much of creation as we can? Isn't hurrying through our own way to praise of the God the equivalent of applauding after the first three notes of a symphony? Wouldn't it be better to attentively listen to the entire score than to let pause come thundering out of us? Shouldn't we linger over creation, not as a way of avoiding God, but as a way of knowing him and enjoying him more fully? So hear what he's trying to argue here, which I totally agree with when we think about creation speaking. If it is declaring at the heavens, all that we see here is, is, is shouting to us the beauty and the glory of God, then what he's trying to make an argument is, is that, hey, you know what? Let's, let's not be so fast to get to the praise of God. Let's linger. Let's look at a sunset and just sit with it. I mean, think about it. And I meant to bring some of this home here from my home, and I forgot, but oh well. Um, why is honey so sweet and good? Amen. And honey, I mean, it's fascinating how amazing it is, right? This little thing comes out of bees, right? I mean, I absolutely, I mean, love it. We've got some honey from Michigan right now. We don't have any local honey, but there's a guy that's down from where I live and they, he does, uh, he's a little bee farmer. And maybe someday when I retire, I might become a bee farmer because they're just fascinating little creatures. And when he filters out all the stuff, I mean, it's, his honey is almost clear. It's fascinating. It's like, oh my goodness, I just want to drink. Like, a gallon of it. I don't know. That's probably not really good for you. But here's the thing. Like, why? This is what I'm talking about. Why? Why did God make honey? Why did he make these little precious bees that then go and do their thing with the flower and then go and make this amazing thing called honey that most of us in this room, I don't know. I only got a few people like smiling with me. Maybe most of you don't like honey. I don't know how you could not like honey. It's like, yeah, yeah. It should not even be an option. You know, I can understand why you wouldn't like broccoli or celery or yeah. But honey, amen, like that's just like liquid sugar. So, but why, why is it so good? Why well, didn't give you a ton of reasons? And this is what I think he's trying to say, like linger in that. Why is it so good? Well, one, he's, God's a good father. Just like any good father. He wants his creation to enjoy something that he's created. So he's gonna make it really tasty. Another reason and I think there's many more, but another reason, because I can't go through all of them, right? Another reason is so that you and I would have some idea of the value of the wisdom of God. So God made honey sweet and wonderful so that you and I would have some knowledge of the value of the wisdom of God. Look how the writer of Proverbs puts this. Proverbs 24, verse 13, my son... My son, eat honey, for it is good. I mean, I got that down, amen? If we're counting commandments today, I'm knocking that one out of the park. You don't have to tell me to eat honey twice 
It's in the Bible. Amen. And the drippings of a honeycomb. Oh, my goodness, man. Are sweet to your taste. No. And that word there is so much in that. But in part, it's an experiential knowing. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Here's the key for us to really gain the full spiritual benefit of honey. We must enjoy its sweetness. There needs to be some lingering in honey. Amen. Some savoring of honey for us to know the fuller wisdom and the value of God and his wisdom for us. As Joe Rigney goes on and says, we must come to have a deep and a real knowledge of honey sweetness, the kind of experiential knowledge that can only come when we linger over the pleasant taste on our tongue. This is all I'm trying to say, guys. If, if creation is speaking, if C.S. Lewis is right, and saying that there's nowhere that we can evade the presence of God, that the world is crowded with him, then I think the imitation for us is to slow down. To linger. To watch a sunset. Not go real fast to a praise song to Jesus, right? I'm not saying that's bad. But I think part of us understanding more fully, as the psalmist says, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. There's something about us lingering and sitting still and paying attention to even something as beautiful and tasteful as honey. Because as we linger there, it is helping us and aiding us to see the glory of this beautiful God. So yes, the words of God are powerful. Creation is speaking to us. And the last one is this. God has designed creation in such a way to where it, um, it reorients us. I love how Moses said this in verse 16 here in Genesis chapter one. I don't know if you caught that, but he says this, and God made the two great lights, the, the greater light to rule over the day, the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. Others translations say, and he made the stars. It's, it's almost, and I'm not sure Moses was not making this an afterthought, but it kind of reads sometimes almost like an afterthought. Oh, by the way, God also made the stars. The Milky Way galaxy alone, which is the galaxy where our planet and solar system is, has about 100 billion stars. And they're still counting. I mean, how do you count 100 billion? That's a long time, right? Oh my goodness, I'd lose track at about 100. And there are 100 to 200 billion galaxies in the universe. I mean, I can't even know, I don't even know what number that would be, right? As far as I'm trying to, Count the stars, if there's 100 billion stars in each one of those galaxies and there's close to 200 galaxies, I mean, my goodness gracious, right? Look what David said about this in Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe, or another translation says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? Or some translation says, what is man that you're mindful of him? 
a son of man that you look after him. Or some translation says, son of man that you care for him. Something happens in David and something happens in us when we consider the heavens, when we recognize, when we see, when we reflect, when we, when we, we ponder the heavens, when we look at the work of our fingers, of his fingers, there's something in us that, that it has this work of reorienting us, right? I don't know about you, but here's what disorients me, my schedule. That can be really disorienting. Our devices, as much as they are a gift to us, and I know I'm kind of an oldie up here, but they can be rather disorienting also. Our pace of life can be disorienting. People, God love them, right? They can be somewhat disorienting, maybe even people in your own family and maybe your neighbors, right? Our jobs, our work, it can be somewhat disorienting. Sin, sin can be disorienting. But something happens when I consider when I look, something happens in me when I look up and see the beauty of what he's created. Something reorients me, reoriented, defined in the Webster Dictionary is basically this. It's where you find your position again in relation to your surroundings. It's where you find your position again in relationship to your set, set, uh, surroundings. So no one, and I've never gone here before, and I want to go someday. May the Lord allow us to go sometime. But no one goes to the Grand Canyon and looks at the Grand Canyon and go, man, I am awesome. <laughs> no one does that. You go to the Grand Canyon and you look at this massive, oh my goodness, massive thing. The last thing you're thinking about is you. No one goes to the ocean, and maybe you do eventually after you've been there for a few days, but when you show up at the ocean, you go, because that's usually what we do when we go to the beach, the very first thing to do before we unpack our cars, we run to the ocean, we look at this thing, and when I get to the ocean, I don't get lost in myself. I get lost in the vastness of this water. No one goes to the Red River Gorge, this beautiful place that we have here in the state of Kentucky and think I'm really important. <laughs> but my schedule thinks I'm important, right? My, my devices can make me feel like I'm really important. My place, uh, pace of life can make me feel like I'm really important. People can make me feel like I'm really important. My job can make me feel like I'm really important. Sin can make me feel like I'm really important, that I deserve this, that I've had a rough week. I deserve this. I should be, I'm entitled to this. But when I come out into creation and I look up, it reorients me, not to the sense where it makes me small. That's not God's goal. He's not one to remind you, you're a little bitty ant. I can squish you. That's not what God's after, right? So going out and looking up and seeing the vastness of creation is not to make you be reminded that I'm a little bitty person here. No. I mean, because if you read on in chapter 8 of, of Psalm 8, verse 5, it says this, right? You made him, talking about humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings. And what? Crowned him with glory and honor. So it's not so that you can remind how small you are, but it's to remind us of our place. You're not in control. I'm not in control. And for some of us, that brings a lot of relief. And for others, it brings a ton of anxiety, if we're just really honest. It reminds us of our place. I'm not in charge. someone else running this whole story and it's not me. It reminds us of our place. I'm not the sinner. I'm not the, the main character in God's full redemptive story that he's writing. Yes, I've got a part and I've got a really important part. Every single one of us do. Don't ever downplay your significance and we 
As Christians have a tendency to do that, we always kind of focus on we're broken, we're broken, we're broken, we're broken, we're broken. And yes, we are, right? First to admit it, first to raise my hand, I'm a broken individual. And at the same time, you are beautifully and wonderfully made, as it says in Psalm 139. And as it says here in Genesis chapter one, you are an image bearer. So yes, you have an important part in the story of God, but you're not the main character. And God has given us this beautiful earth, this beautiful world to help reorient us to our place. So, maybe the invitation again is for us to take a walk this week. I was at Tom Sawyer Park yesterday at a cross-country meeting sitting just at a little bench underneath the trees. And this may sound weird to you, but I put in my phone, go run at Tom Sawyer on Friday morning. <laughs> it's just beautiful there. So maybe you don't like to run. That's great. That's fine. Maybe you like to sit. Amen. You sit at a park. Allow God's work through creation to do its work in you, and part of that work is to reorient you. And that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, when he was looking at an anxious group of people like us, he said, hey, consider the birds. You thought about these little creatures? Hey, consider the lilies. You see what he's doing there? God in the flesh, taking a group of people, making them reflect upon something they see all the time to help reorient them. God's got you. This will take care of you. Maybe this week, may we Take that gift of creation and may it help us to see and reorient us around what is true, what is beautiful, and what is good. Let's pray. Just take a second just to be still, to hear from him listen to what he has to say to us just for a few minutes. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.